Welcome to another episode of Behind the Blazer. I'm your host, Scott Sempier. Today I meet with Justin Hopkins through Zoom. Justin Hopkins is a Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale alumnus and an accomplished opera singer who lives in Antwerp, Belgium. In this interview, he reminisces about his time in the choir, shares his career path, and gives important advice for aspiring singers. So enjoy. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast for the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. For over 50 years, the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale has been entertaining audiences near and far as America's ambassadors of song. The Emmy-winning and Grammy-nominated program has toured regions and countries of all inhabited continents, performing for many dignitaries and in many of the world's premier concert venues. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, reveals the stories from the choir through interview format. Today I'm here with Justin Hopkins. He sings bass baritone, and this is a, a role that's developed from many of Wagner's works, including the Brink series. I want to welcome you to the podcast today, Justin. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Scott. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you here virtually. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and we are we are meeting via video chat because of the coronavirus and also because of the Belgium to the Philadelphia area uh, commute. Exactly, yeah. If you don't mind, can you tell us about when you were a boy and what developed your interest in singing in the first place? You know, I, I think I was always singing uh, from what I'm told by my parents and, and what I see in in some old family videos that I, I cringe when I watch now, you know, when I was a little boy, I was singing around the house all over the place. And, you know, at, at the time, my mom would every once in a while tell me to, you know, quiet that noise. But she also, as well as my dad, saw that I might have a special talent for singing. So my mom sang with her sorority choir. My mom is a, uh, a sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, and they they had a, a choir, and um, I sang my very first solo publicly with them when I was eight years old. And it was my mom's choir director who then recommended that I audition for the Philadelphia, for the Philadelphia Boys Choir. And, and my mom, she knew I was talented. Of course, she believed in me, but, but the Philadelphia Boys Choir was, was, you know, one of the premier choirs in the country and the... And she had her doubts that I, that I would even get in. But as it were, you know, I, I, she took me there for my audition and, and the rest was history. So you joined as an eight-year-old. Were you in a cadet program or did you go right into the performing choir? How did that work? Yes, yes. I, re I remember auditioning. Um, I was eight years old. This was in way back when in 1992. And... Um, I went in my audition, and what I distinctly remember, Dr. Hamilton, who was the, who was the um, conductor emeritus, uh, the founder of the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Uh, first of all, I, I just have to say, I, I auditioned singing the song One Little Candle, that, and that was the solo that I sang with my mom's choir. And when Dr. Hamilton, when I went in for the audition, Dr. Hamilton asked, what would I like to sing? And I said, One Little Candle expecting him not to know it. And he just <laughs> played it by ear. He knew it immediately, found my key, transposed it. I was floored already. He, he had won me over <laughs> at that moment. Then leaving the building, I was nervous, of course, and he 
he told my mom, and I'll never forget it, I can remember it still. He said, uh, and I'm sure he said this to other, because there's so many talented singers um, who've come through the voice choir, but he said, there are boys who sing, and then there are boys who are singers. And he said, your son, your son is a singer. And he said, yeah, welcome on board. Your, 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 your son is, uh, is going to be in the cadet program. And I, I was just, we were both, my mom was shocked and overwhelmed. And I was, I was too. And uh, yes, I was in the advanced cadet program for one year. And then I went up and got my blazer in 1993. Wow, that's awesome. And obviously, you weren't a bass baritone when you joined the choir as an eight-year-old. What was your, uh, what was your part? What was your I was part? soprano one. I came in as a as a high soprano one. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, you know, I loved it. Of course, I, I don't know if it's still going on in the choirs, but then there's you know there's it can be fairly tribal in choirs. So you know, soprano ones. We thought we were the we were the big shots of the choir because <laughs> we could sing so we could sing high and we had the melody. And um, yeah, I was, I was happy to be a soprano, but I remember that some of the men in the chorale would say, oh, well, you're a high soprano now, but most high sopranos become basses. And I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to be a tenor, you know. <laughs> sure enough, my, I went from soprano one to alto two. Okay. And, and um, I spent two years as a soprano one, and then another two years as an alto two. And then my voice changed and I went down to, um, to bass two um, over the course of the summer. My voice changed very quickly. You went from the, from the highest soprano to the lowest bass. So what is your range now? How many octaves can you hit? Ooh, I, you know, not, not that many. Being a, <laughs> I mean, I can sing in falsetto fairly high, just kind of joking around. But I, I would think as a, as a bass, um, my normal range that I would use to perform was most likely around three octave. Uh, let's see. Yeah, probably about a three octave range, which is, which is more than enough uh, for, a, for a bass and sure. opera. Sure. Yeah. The tours in the Philadelphia Boys Choir are often a popular part. Did you attend yeah. any tours? If so, which ones? Sure, sure. I wouldn't... I've never, I haven't counted all of the tours, but I, my first tour was in 1994. We went on a tour of Central Europe. Then uh, 95, went to Switzerland and France. Then went to, then I went to Australia the next year, South Africa. Following that was a tour of the uh, Mississippi on the American Queen steamboat. Following that, I believe it was uh, Germany and Russia. Following that, I went to China and Korea. And uh, then my final tour was France and Italy. Wow. So you continued to be a part of the boys choir well into your chorale years. That's, right. That's right. Oh, and I, and I can't forget, I don't know why I would forget this one because this was some of my favorite tours. I was, um, I went to Cuba twice with the choir in, in 1998, well, 1998 and 99, I believe were the years of those tours. Wow. So which, which of those tours was most memorable to you or what moments in tour did you have that still stick with you? That's a good question. Uh, it, it's hard to pick a favorite. 
to be quite honest, my first tour of Central Europe, I don't remember much from it. I was, I was so young and um, it was, hmm, you know, the experience was so new. I didn't quite know what to take in and what to absorb in that tour, and which can be seen, uh, which is evidenced by my pictures. Uh, you know, when I go back and pictures I'm like why did I take a picture of this cobblestone here you know I, I had no <laughs> idea that was a fascinating tour really to be on 1994 the the Iron Curtain had just recently fallen and and uh, being in Central Europe that was just now newly opened up having been um, after the fall of the Iron Curtain was a really interesting time to be in Central Europe and um, I can remember really that, uh, especially me and, and the, other, the other singers of color, particularly the, the black singers were, were celebrities over there because the, some of these people had never seen a black person before. Oh, wow. in their you know, they were so closed off to the world. And um, that was a fascinating experience. But then moving on to my second tour in Switzerland, in terms of the beauty that was, my favorite tour, being up in the Alps, seeing the Matterhorn. Uh, Switzerland is, is one of the most beautiful places in the world, beautiful countries in the world. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I've, you know, in my opera career that I've been able to return to Switzerland often. And actually next, next year I'll be living there. I think if, if COVID cooperates, I'll be um, in a contract in, in Geneva, Switzerland. But, you know, in, in terms of other moments, um, I'd have to say being in China, singing in Tiananmen Square was an incredible experience. Being in Cuba again, uh, one incredible memory experience in Cuba. The first time that we were there, we, we had the opportunity to march in the May Day Parade. Um, and just, you know, we, we, you read history books and you read and you, and you, you listen to news reports and you might, especially at that time, you'd think that, uh, relating that they would not like Americans and we wouldn't be, a, we wouldn't be welcome, especially in the May Day Parade. But these people were so welcoming to us, were so happy that we were there. And along the route on that May Day Parade, there was Fidel Castro, you know, oh, wow. and so I, I have him on video. You know, I had my camcorder and old video camera and, and have freeze framed shots of Fidel Castro waving at us and the May Day Parade. And that was an incredible memory. There, there's so many. I, uh, Cuba, China, the Mississippi American Queen Steamboat. I can remember being somewhat disappointed that we were doing an American tour. <laughs> Thinking, oh, you know, you, you want to go somewhere exotic. That was, that ended up being a really fun tour. Very interesting. When my voice changed, Dr. Hamilton gave me Old Man River to sing. And that was, uh, that was, <laughs> that was my solo. And so to sing Old Man River on the Mississippi River on a, on a steamboat, was certainly an interesting experience going up and down the Mississippi and the various southern states. It was, it was uh, quite the experience. I can only imagine how cool that would be to do that. Like you said, that's really great. Fortunately, we don't have to imagine what Justin Hopkins sounds like singing Old Man River. But let's imagine riding the Mississippi together while listening to his beautiful rendition. Through podcast magic, we bring you Justin singing Old Man River. Love. 
We hope you were able to appreciate his rich timber as Justin Hopkins demonstrated the beauty and power that made Old Man River so popular. As we have just floated down the Mississippi River with Justin Hopkins, let's find out where else he has landed with his singing career. Can you tell me about where your singing career has taken you over the course of these years? Sure, sure. I've had the opportunity to sing in Switzerland again as a solo professional opera singer many times, way up in the Alps and at the Verbier Festival. And uh, I did that t two years, uh, two summers in a row. My very first professional, um, international professional engagement was here in Belgium, and it was in, in Brussels. And I, I had a role in Verdi's uh, Macbeth. Um, and that was in 2010. And I've been returning to, Brussels, to, to Belgium ever since. Um, I'm performing at La Monnaie in, in Brussels about five times, four or five times. And once last season here in Antwerp, Belgium, and, that, and then I moved to Belgium this past season where I was singing at, at the theater here, Opera Blondinen, for the entire season. I've also sung in, in Germany. Let's see, I think internationally for me, that, that's about it. I've done a, a competition in Russia as well. And, and also the UK, I can't forget. Yeah, I performed with the BBC Concert Orchestra in a, in a performance with them in London at Queen Elizabeth Hall about five, six years ago. So yeah, it's taken me, it's taken me far, but you know, the, the traveling, which is, which is a part of being an opera singer for some is, is a new experience when you get into the business. But for me, it was, it was kind of old news, uh, having been in the boys choir, really traveling every year, going on tour really prepared me for this, this, this life that I'm in now in the profession. Thinking about how the boys choir prepared you with the traveling, are there any other ways that the boys choir influenced you or prepared you to be who you are today? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I am, I am who I am. You know, we, we are a confluence of experiences and, and influences, but I'd have to say that the, the boys choir is my main and foremost influence in my life. Musically, just the discipline that was, in, that was instilled in me at a young age. Um, how to approach studying music, memorizing music, how to travel, how to, how to remain a healthy singer, particularly while traveling, how to deal with jet lag, how to interact with people when, when they're in a completely different culture or they may not, you may not speak their language and, and they don't speak yours. These were all things that, that I learned at a very young age. And just the, I mean, in a very overall and general sense, the appreciation of music, the joy that you have as a boy, particularly in the, in the, in the boys' choir, being on stage and producing the sound that, uh, that you do within the choir, it's, it's just an amazing experience. And I think that love, that, that, that there's a craving of being on stage and performing and making music in, in an ensemble that never goes away once you've had that experience. And I think the, those are definitely the reasons why I'm in opera. Singing, singing in multiple languages. You know, I'd already done that but, uh, as, a, as a member of the boys' choir. So, so the boys' choir experience uniquely sets up boys to be successful in whatever uh, whatever field they choose to go in but particularly in, in music you mentioned having sung in so many languages with the boys choir that's something i was 
thinking about too the language barrier with you know switzerland belgium germany russia and then also all all these other opportunities you've had if you have a number how many languages have you seen and are you fluent in any of them besides english good question i i have the last time i counted i i've sung in my professional life in eight different languages including english the the standard opera languages are italian german and french but then on top of that i i did an opera a polish opera what else russian as well this season i did a czech an, an opera in czech the rusalka and uh, i think the the weirdest language and the hardest one that <laughs> that i did was an opera that was in sanskrit and i did that last season and that was a, re- a real bear to learn and to memorize but pretty rewarding once once it was done and that was satyagraha by um, philip glass uh, based on the text of the the bhagavad gita so that was that was a real challenge in terms of being fluent that is actually one of my goals I, and i think and i definitely got this being in the voice choir you know there, there's a desire to want to communicate when you've gone on tour and you've hosted other choirs from around the world and you can't communicate fully it's always been a goal of mine to be fluent i've gotten close i i studied in italy shortly after i graduated from college um i i was there for about six or seven months and i was this close to being fluent in italian uh i just wasn't there long enough and then subsequently i've lost really all of my conversational italian uh, that was about eight nine years ago but i um here living in belgium they speak dutch and french here those are two languages of belgium and um i am at a pretty high intermediate level in in dutch okay and i can, and I can understand uh very basic french so i can i can take direction in the theater in in french but i probably wouldn't want to even attempt to reply in french but i can do it in dutch and do you find in belgium that many people understand english as well being that it's uh... yeah 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 their english i always say that their english is better than 90% of, of american <laughs> speakers <laughs> english and i think that just comes along with um belgians here are are uniquely um they're polyglots here they they speak multiple languages and um i think just because they're coming from the outside in the way that they study english they speak very uh, in a very precise manner and and use very proper grammar they can speak english and that's part of the um, that's part of my frustration they actually in trying to become actually fluent in dutch they all speak english so um, you know if if i'm not communicating well they'll just switch to english which doesn't help me learn right. dutch I'm working on. <laughs> As an American, I know Belgium is known for waffles and chocolate and beer and Brussels sprouts. Can you enlighten us a, a little bit more about what Belgium is, how it's different and and what impact that's had on you? Belgium is a fascinating country and and one that we really don't we don't learn a lot about in 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 the states. Uh Belgium is a country that is that was really an experiment it's not a very old country i think but you know in the the late 1800s was when the the current belgium as it is and as it is today was formed and it is 
it's an ex it's a bringing together of of French speaking and Dutch speaking people. Belgium is kind of divided in half as a country. The lower half is, is Wallonia, the French speaking area, and then and the northern is is the Flemish region or Dutch speaking region. And so they they have the, the country has two governments essentially the the, the, the French and the and the Dutch, and they come together. You know, at least they're supposed to. Uh, I mean, famously, a few years back, uh, they, they weren't able to form a government, I think, for two years or so. They didn't have a, have a functioning government, um, which actually functioned better than, <laughs> than our government, I think, at times, even without one. But um, uh, if, fascinating in that sense, the blending of the two cultures coming together. Um, they have um, a real appreciation for the arts. Um, they, they, they subsidize it in the, the government but through taxes and it's, it's very important to them. So that's also one of the benefits of, of being here and working here that um, the arts aren't taken for granted. They, they, they really come out, they want, to, they want to, to experience opera, the new and the old. They, they, they want to go out and, and, and see art and, and, and experience the music. So um, real fascinating place to be, a real, uh, real interesting history. I'm, I'm kind of a, an amateur World War II buff too, so there's so much history on, on that end here too. You know? it's, a, it's a really interesting place. I, I find the people very friendly, very, um, very smart, very engaging, very curious too. Yeah. Well, you just described Belgium as a, a place that really enjoys art and supports art. You, um, you've been to Philadelphia and Boston and, and Los Angeles. It's where you, from what I've read in your biography, where you have really uh, pronounced yourself as an up-and-coming opera singer and you've been successful there. Can you describe for me the differences in maybe the cities or even, you know, relative America to Belgium and other places, how is opera being received in these areas? It's a good question. Um, I think that, um, you know, in Philadelphia, places like Philly, Boston, Los Angeles, New York, Houston, Chicago, these, these places um, are very fortunate that um, they have the, the, the audience and the resources to to prioritize um, the arts as much as they possibly can. Um, I think that um, it's hard for me to distinguish because in Boston, and this goes back to my, my time with the boys choir, I, I am an opera singer by trade, but I, I, like, I pride myself on being a versatile artist. Um, and so in, in Boston, I, I've never sung opera in Boston. I've only, um, I performed with the Boston Pops um, fairly often. So with the pops, I was singing jazz standards, Broadway, the, these types of things. And uh, the, 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 the audience there, the Boston audience, I guess it's almost comparable to the, you know, the Patriots fans up there. They, the Boston loves their Patriots and they love their Boston symphony and their Boston pops. And so performing with the pops, I, I've done over, 50 concerts with them in the past. It's hard to believe. It's a real joy, real thrill. And so they really knowledge, they know 
the knowledgeable audience. They, they know what they want. They had such a high level of music making there that it's a really smart audience. Los Angeles, I love going out to LA to sing, but mostly for the weather. I love being out there in, in LA, but uh, no, they, I, I've sung with, with the LA Master Chorale and the Los Angeles uh, Chamber Orchestra out there. And I just think that the, it's, that's a hard question to, to answer in terms of the differences in the, in between the, the cities. I think that each city has their unique audiences. Some audiences might respond differently. I, for example, I'll give you here in Belgium, audiences tend to be very reserved. So there's not, um, in the States, everybody stands up and gives standing ovations usually at every concert now. That's, that's kind of a new trend, I, I think, in the past 20 years or so. Whereas here, no, it's got to be really exceptional for people to get on their feet to, to applaud. That doesn't mean that they didn't really enjoy it. And that, that might vary from city to city. So I, I think here in Europe, the, the differences between the audiences and the cities and the regions are a little bit more pronounced than in the States. Um, whereas in, in Antwerp, when I perform here, the audiences are fairly um, exuberant for a Belgian audience. But then when I go to Ghent, which is, a, which is another uh, Flemish city, um, they're very reserved. And it can make you feel a little, I don't know, nervous or insecure, but, the, but that's just culturally, they don't, they don't respond in the same um, exuberant way that uh, some other places would. So yeah, it's more pronounced here than in the States. In the States, I feel like pretty much everywhere is, responds in, in this very warm, um, I don't know, ex I don't want to say exaggerated way. Americans, we, we wear our hearts on our sleeves here, I think, and, and the audience reaction kind of, kind, of, um, kind of proves that. How do you prepare for a performance? And is it dependent upon the audience like, and their expected response? Do you have any rituals? What's question. That's a very good question. Yeah, I, I think, again, I would have to say that um, I might not prepare differently for a different audience reaction or different audience sensibility in the States, but definitely over here in, in, in Europe, I might do that. I think that um, huh. here, they, they do like American singers and American trained performers here because we are, we are unusual to them in the way that we, we, we're very theatrical here in the States, the trained singers, um, very demonstrative. And, and, and uh, whereas European performers tend to be a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more reserved as performers. And I think that I try not to, to, to go overboard here. I try and retain a bit of my true American self, um, giving them a, a wild show. But I, I think I, I, I tame it down just a bit and, and, and be a little bit more cerebral here than I would be in the States. Um, but I think that the audience, in terms of how to prepare and, and what to give, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sing and perform the same way for an opera and classical music audience as I would for pops. So I, and I, so I sing a lot of pops concerts, Philly pops, Boston pops. Um, but I would 
be a bit more engaging with the audience as when I'm singing pops music um, than I would be with classical music. Classical music is just a little bit more, there are more formalities. Um, so that, that would be the main difference, I think, between the two, between the, the two forms of, of music that I generally sing. And preparing, that, that's, the, that's the tough part. And that's, that's really where the boys' choir discipline comes in. It, it takes, the audience only gets to see the, the final product, you know, an hour or two hour performance. But it, particularly with opera, we're talking about months and months of preparation depending upon how long the opera is. I mean, learning a, a two and a half, three hour opera in Sanskrit took me months. It took me at least six months to really get under my skin and, and to memorize. So it, it's a lot of sitting down at home by yourself, looking at the score, listening to recordings, um, trying to find a native speaker um, of the whatever language you're, 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 you're singing. Um, I haven't, I have a, my next door neighbor who, who is, who is um, an Indian American um, knew some Sanskrit. And so he helped me out with, with some of the uh, Sanskrit. So you, you seek out these people, you, you, you have to do a lot of translation, a lot of study. And, um, and then once you have it all memorized and prepared, then, then you're ready for three to six weeks of rehearsals. And so <laughs> even wow. before, so it's it's very labor intensive and and so when we're talking about that's why you know the artist that's why I like being here in Belgium because they recognize that and they recognize that this is that that, that this is a is an all-encompassing profession that needs to be supported that six months of preparing for an opera I'm not necessarily being paid to sing that opera I'm only paid by performance so how do you how do you sustain yourself? How do you support your, um, your, your, yourself and your family while you're preparing for work? And, and that just comes through com community support that comes from familial support, all of that type of thing. So it's a tough life, but it's, 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 it's definitely uh, an interesting one. Yeah, I didn't realize that, you know, you were only paid for performances, not for rehearsals and all of that. That that is an interesting wrinkle, of course. That's the thing, and especially with with Corona, the way this hit, and that's this is the tough thing for for everybody. I mean, we're all in this together, and and you don't have to just be a musician to to find yourself suddenly without income. But um, you know, a lot of artists found themselves halfway through a rehearsal process, and when the lockdown came. That money's gone. You're not paid for. You're only paid for the work that you've uh, done on stage and in performance. So um, it's it's um, yeah, it's a it's a very the life is it's 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 not the most secure of professions. But um, but I think those of us that are in it would we, we, we wouldn't trade it for anything. That's awesome. Uh, as far as being quarantined in Belgium, have you found it to be any more difficult? I mean, you can only speculate what it's like in, in the States or based on what you know, but is there any difference you would see in being in a foreign country during this quarantine? Yeah, you know, it's, it was a surreal experience really to be here because the, the timeline and the, the, the way that the events 
presented themselves and been carried out. Every, I watched, it seemed, it seemed as if I was watching everything in delay. Um, we, we were experiencing the effects of, of COVID here, I'd say, you know, at about a, a three weeks ahead of time in the States. So I could see Belgium and the, and the surrounding countries here in Europe preparing, doing things, and watching the news and talking to my parents and family and friends and, and and not seeing that happen yet in the states and saying, well, ooh, it's coming, you know, and it's going to happen. So that was that was the surreal and kind of frightening experience for me because um, it was here, and um, all anybody had to do was to look and, and and see what was being done. Now, in terms of how every people, just like in the states, I'd say the different countries here in the European Union are responding in, in their different ways and that they're, you know, they're, they're their own independent um, countries and governments. And, and uh, I think Belgium has done a really good job. It's interesting, uh, people here are, I believe that they, they, there's not the same anxiety that there is in the States here because they have um, a social, you know, there's, there's more social programs here. There, um, there's universal, not to get, I'm not, trying to be political in any way. It's just a fact. There's universal health care here for citizens of uh, Belgium. So when they're being laid off, and they are uh, being furloughed here, um, they're not losing their, their, their benefits and their health insurance and such. So um, I, I think that, uh, you know, these people here are very fortunate in that they, 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 they have a, a bit more of a safety net here than, than, than we do in the States. In 2017, I had the pleasure of being the headliner soloist for the Philly Pops holiday concert series. I think the highlight for me was the fact that the boys choir sang, was on the docket as they are every year singing with the, with the Philly Pops. I was able to sing uh, Do You Hear What I Hear with, with the boys choir singing in the background. And it was a full circle experience for me to be on the stage at the Kimmel Center. And I could turn around and see the boys in their blazers before and after I sang and just know that I was there on that stage because of my experience in the boys choir. And to know that then maybe 20 years from now, some of those boys would be up doing what I was doing. It was, it was an incredible experience and full circle experience. <laughs> If you heard what I just heard, you're now a big Justin Hopkins fan. That was awesome. As we transition back to the interview, Justin continues by comparing the new performance culture surrounding this generation of choristers and the pressure he now feels at this stage of his career. When you're preparing to perform, are you ever nervous anymore? 
what do you do if you are nervous? You know, I, I look at the kids now. When I go when I go to the choir concerts, when I'm able to get back and see the see the singing, I'm always amazed at how they don't seem as nervous as we did back when I was young. You know, these kids, and and I attribute that to the, just the the culture now. We have the um, we have all of these awards, these competition shows uh, with American Idol and, and and all of that, and you know, Glee was on. So there's there's this culture of of music and singing and performing. Everybody's performing on TikTok these days and everything. You know, back when I was a kid, you know, um, that that wasn't going on, and so we were a little bit more timid. I think and I can remember that I was always really nervous when I had to sing solos. When I was when I was a boy in voice choir, that t- has tended to go away a bit. I'm not as nervous when I go once I'm on stage and the curtain has gone up. I tend to be really nervous leading up to the performance. That's where my anxiety and, and nerves come in. And 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 to be honest, I found that my anxiety and my and I'd have to call it I'd have to say anxiety performance anxiety gets worse for a lot of us as you get older. And I, and I really find that with myself. There was a time back when I was in my 20s when I really wasn't that nervous. I was, you had no choice at that time establishing yourself as an artist. You have to, you have to give everything. You, you have to almost block out the, the, the fear and the rejection because you're, you're scrambling to, to make a name for yourself. Then once you've established yourself a bit, then the pressure comes in to maintain and to and it and it doesn't it, it, it goes from from an aspiration to a livelihood. And when that happens, you feel as if you've got more riding on on your performance. It's not just a bad performance that that could happen. It, that that bad performance now could mean that you're not going to be rehired in that means then that you're not going to be able to pay your bills. So <laughs> uh, you lose a bit of the, you lose a bit of the, the kind of the, the freewheeling, freewheeling aspect of, of performance uh, that you might have when you're younger. Um, so yeah, I still, it, and, and, and my nerves and my anxiety depends on my level of, of preparedness. You know, if, if I don't have, a lot of time to prepare or if I have to quickly memorize something uh, that means I'm gonna be nervous going into the performance because uh, especially getting older that's another thing with the boys choir as a boy we would soak up this music and it would be memorized and we we don't even really think about memorizing it is we just the, the young brain kind of uh, soaks that stuff up and we would always look at the men in the crowd and they always needed their music and we'd be like oh those lazy old men they they can't you know they're just not memorizing well yeah now i'm that age and i realize that it's a lot harder to to memorize uh anything at, uh, once you once you've reached a certain age and that's my biggest fear it's not so much vocal these days it's about getting up there and forgetting the next lyric coming up um and i'd have to say that 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 ha- that that fear and that nervousness comes in more uh, more to play in 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 english than in a foreign language because i can you can kind of especially if you're singing for an, an english-speaking audience you can 
you can sing baloney, baloney or whatever, <laughs> you know, if you're singing <laughs> until, um, until you get back on track. But when you're singing English, everybody knows that, that, you're, that you're, you're screwing up. So, um, yeah, that's uh, the nervousness and the anxiety can go up and down. And, but, but really, the, it's, it's preparation. If you've gone, if you've done the work, if, you, if you're able to put in the right amount of time and the, and the right level of work, then there's then the, then the, then the, the, the curve of the um, nervousness and the anxiety goes down. Have you ever found that you did mess up a line and, and what did you do to recover? <laughs> this, this actually goes back to, uh, and it's probably the source of, of my current anxiety, something that never leaves you. But when I was in college, um, I was asked last minute to sing the national anthem at, um, at a basketball game. I went to school in, in New Orleans. And so the, um, the New Orleans, and I forget even the name of the, the team, but they were playing the Raptors who were, who were in Toronto at the time. And uh, so I had to sing O Canada as well. Now, I think I had uh, two days or a day and a half or something like that to memorize O Canada, which is not a very long song. Um, I, I went over it, <laughs> you know, didn't sleep the night before, going over it, going over it. Get there, had the sound check, it was fine. Come to perform, I get out there on the announcement. Now, Justin Hopkins to sing um, the Star Spangled Banner and O Canada. And the, the, I can remember the cameras coming right up to my face, which, which I, I got very nervous. I sang the first song, Old Canada, my home and native land, true patriot blood and all the command, then went completely blank. And I stood there, I don't know how long, I don't think it was that long, but to me it felt like, uh, like an hour or something. <laughs> and, then I, and then I had, I, I made up lyrics to O Canada until I got back on track. Well, then I sang the Star Spangled Banner and I left the, 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 the stadium in tears, uh, just horrified by what had happened. And uh, I can remember, and then, and then the hate mail and stuff came in from some Canadians and it just, there were articles written and it was, it was, one of the most horrifying experiences of my life, but but a great lesson learned, of course. Um, it can happen to anybody, but it was also a lesson of saying no. You don't have to take everything that comes your way, especially if you if you know that you may not be able to execute it the way that you would want to to do it. And so I've made sure that um, that that would never happen again because it was it was a, a terrible terrible experience. Uh, and I think you know that was I don't know 15 years ago or, or more now. But I think now I'm just now getting over it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's like a lesson you don't want to learn twice. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Mm -mm. As a bass baritone, have you had the opportunity to perform in any of Wagner's three operas that were designed with your voice part in mind? And if so, you know, which roles? I'm, um, so I'm 36 years old now, and uh, I've, uh, 
so that that in really in the opera world and that's a I'd be what they call a baby bass still kind of young um, and Wagner is really something that you, uh, you most people most opera singers graduate to when they when they really become older and mature and their voice settles. That being said, I have performed the role of Dalland in, um, in The Flying Dutchman. Um, and that was a really nice, I, I performed that with the Baltimore Concert Opera. Um, and so this, that was just a performance with piano um, in a small theater, which was a nice kind of intro into uh, Wagner role. But no, I, I wouldn't touch the Votons or anything like that. Um, I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole really until I'm in my, in my forties and fifties, I'll have to see where I am vocally because the amount of stamina, the amount of power, uh, vocal power and control that you need to sing Wagner, it's, it's, it's some of the hardest music that, that you could sing. The orchestras are massive um, and you have to sing for four and five hours and uh, physically, I wouldn't be able to do that at all. Now, next season, um, I might be performing a, a smaller role in in, um, in Parsifal, uh, but the, once again, a small role, not one of the big Wagner roles. But I'll tell you, I do love Wagner, and um, one day, I, if I'm lucky, I'll, I'll get to sing, you know, big boy Wagner roles. <laughs> and over the course of your career, of course, you've you've sung under the baton of many famous conductors, you've sung for the Dalai Lama, you, as you mentioned, you got to see Fidel Castro from afar. What has that done to influence you to be in front of or performing for uh, famous people, especially famous people in your industry? Hmm. You know, I, I think that it has, um, like we talked about the nerves and the nervousness, I, I think that all of these experiences even going back to, I'd say, my audition for Dr. Hamilton with the Boys Choir has just taught me how to be a performer in general, how to be on stage. Um, I am comfortable. Uh, I, feel, I feel at home once I'm on stage performing for people. And um, the audience, for me, you talk about having maybe somebody famous in the audience. The audience, for me, turns into a single entity, into a single being for me when I'm on stage. And so it's, uh, I, am, I am in a dialogue, I am in, um, in, in, sometimes I even think of it as a, as a battle for the, for the attention and the, the affection of, of this single entity, which is, which is the audience. Um, and, and in a lot of ways that, um, you know, because when you're on stage and you've got the, and the lights in your face, really you can't see individual faces anyway. You can make out silhouettes. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that you can feel when an audience is not with you. You can feel when you're losing them. You can feel when they are with you and engaged. Um, and, and that's, that's a, you know, there's, it's not an exact science. It's, it's really um, a, a almost a, a supernatural type of uh, uh, psychic thing going on between the performer and audience. And, and so I'd say just with each performance experience, 
you just become more um, more aware of that and, and and aware of the tools that you have to 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 win over an audience. Um, and and I'd say performing for somebody famous um, in the audience is is really no different because. And, and I don't like to know who's, who's necessarily in the audience. I, I say, for example, with the Boston Pops, I did their holiday um, concert series in 2015, and that was 33 concerts back to back in, the, in about in the course of 28 days. Every performance, I made sure that I was giving 100% of what I had at that time because you never know who's out there. And I think that that's really the way I built my career. I'm no star, obviously. I'm not a household name. But the work that I have received, most of it, is through other work, through previous work, not necessarily through auditions. So somebody was in the audience who, who heard me and, um, and then wanted to work with me. Or, or somebody was in the audience who, and got a recommendation from, from whoever I was working with um, on stage at the time. So. That's the that's the way it's got to be when performing. You you've always got to give your all because that person who who is your next job or your next break might be in the audience. What advice do you have for someone looking to follow in your footsteps? Maybe there's a boy, the boys choir who is like, oh, I'd like to be like Justin Hopkins. Do you have any advice uh, that would help that person along the way? I would say put the put the hard work in now. You know. Um, I, I, I'd like to think that I certainly did work very hard when I was in the voice choir to, to be the best performer that I could be, to study the music, to, to learn how to read music. One of the regrets that I have is that I didn't practice um, piano as much as, as, much as I uh, should have. Uh, that would have helped me out a lot um, now in my, where I am in my career now. If, if I could sit down and play anything, play any score, like Jeff Smith can do now, you know. Uh, I can remember when I was an advanced cadet in 92, um, uh, Jeff came back and, and, and he, he had already graduated from the choir, but he came back to, to accompany the choir in a, in a concert one time. And I was like, who is this young guy able to play, uh, you know, accompany the choir and play? I was amazed at that. And, and that type of skill, you know, if you, if you work hard as a young kid, I know, it's, it's difficult to, to, to have the focus and the discipline to, to study hard, but um, that will then make your life so much easier so that when everybody else is, is playing catch up, you are, you're ahead of the game. And um, in, in so many ways, I was ahead of the game because of my experiences in the voice choir. And to really take everything in, Take, every, take all of the experiences in. Don't take it for granted because it, it goes by so quickly. Some of the best days of my life were, were when I was a boy in the, in the, in the boys' choir. And, and you, it feels like it's going to last forever, but, but it, it really doesn't. It goes by incredibly quickly. So take in all of the experiences. Keep a journal. I go back to my journals of the... Uh, from from all of the tours and those memories will be lost. You won't remember <laughs> those things. You, you know, it's fresh in your mind then as a as a ten or eleven, twelve year old. But those experiences uh, are worth keeping. So I would say 
take in everything that, that's happening. Don't take it for granted. Study hard, work hard, and, um, and then you will, um, you will have a lot of success. That's really great advice, and, and I hope that whoever hears that will be able to heed that well. I want to say thank you so much, Justin Hopkins, for joining us and behind the blazer all the way from Belgium, from Antwerp, Belgium. It is truly a pleasure to meet you via video chat. I'm looking forward to seeing where, where your career takes you next, hopefully Switzerland and then beyond. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure to, to talk with you here today. Thank you so much. This has been a podcast of Behind the Blazer, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. To buy tickets for the next performance, support, hire the choir, or audition, go to our website at phillyboyschoir.org.